0: a beautiful song Lord Jesus we speak your name the name above all names Lord Jesus we proclaim that name over our church over our family over our life over our faith the name that's above all names Jesus let that be the the song and the word of our hearts and our minds and our lips. The name of Jesus. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And Father, let this sweet spirit of worship continue as we study your word. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. All God's people said, Amen. amen. Amen, let's continue to worship, but you may have a seat. Good to see you guys this morning. How's everybody doing? Good. I'm glad everyone survived the storm. I'm thankful for the minimal uh, impact it had on our state. Very thankful for that. And, you know, let's continue to pray for our friends and our loved ones and relatives down in Florida who've been impacted by the storm. And so let's continue to lift them up to the Lord and all the first responders and law enforcement and those guys out there working the electrical lines. Let's continue to pray. Matter of fact, let's go and pray for them now. How about that? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for um, coming through this storm these past couple days, Father. Thank you, Father, for the minimal damage that took place in South Carolina. But, Father, we lift up the the, uh, state of Florida to you, Lord, down there in South Florida where it got hit the most. Lord, I pray that you just uh, protect the workers, the electrical workers, the law enforcement, and, Father, be with them, God. And, Father, mobilize the church down there, Lord. Help them, help the churches down there to... uh, Use this as an opportunity to bring the name of Jesus into the community. Lord, we love you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So now, let's turn our attention to God's word. And please turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going up on the mountain, guys. We are going up on the mountain. We're going up on the mountain of the Beatitudes. We're beginning this morning in our verse-by-verse study through the gospel of Matthew We've come to the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5. And um, let's read the first five verses. I'm I'm actually going to teach this morning verses 1 through 12. But let's let's read the first five verses so we get our minds oriented in the right direction of where Scripture takes us this morning. Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 says, When Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, Let us continue to worship you, Lord, as we study your word and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. So what we just read was the opening. It was the opening of the greatest sermon ever preached, spoken by the greatest preacher ever on the greatest subject ever, which is the kingdom of God. Now I find this interesting in Matthew chapter 5, he takes them up on a mount. Why does he do this? Why does he he separate them? And the reason he separates them up there on the Mount of Beatitudes, the, 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 what he's going to do here, he wants to, Jesus wants to show that his kingdom is not like this world's kingdom. So the title of my message this morning, A Kingdom Not of This World. It does not get any higher than this. The purpose of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is to show how radically different the, his kingdom is from the world's kingdom. They are polar opposite. They have nothing in common. They're juxtaposed. When you see them and you compare them side by side, there's a sharp difference. And we are deceived if we think that we can blend the world's kingdom with God's kingdom. Because the truth be told, they have nothing to do with each other. Christianity is a religion where Christ rules and reigns in our hearts. And his rule and reign is displayed in how we live our lives. And what we're going to study, there's actually nine of them, nine Beatitudes we're going to look at this morning. These Beatitudes are the kingdom of God in your heart. Okay? Jesus is going to give us an illustration. He's going to explain to us what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What it looks like to be filled with the the kingdom of God. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give you a... I'm going to teach a little different this morning. I'm going to give you a teaching style. It's called comparison and contrast, where we contrast and compare what the world says about these subjects of each beatitude versus what Jesus says. And by the end of this message, I believe that you'll agree with me that they are totally opposite. They are different, and I'm going to show that to you this morning. So with that said... Let's dive in, family, together to studying the Bible together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. It says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Verse 2. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, So here we have Jesus and a multitude and his disciples. They go up to the Corazine Plateau on the northern border of the Sea of Galilee. There on a the hillside... Jesus takes his seat and preaches the greatest sermon ever. And notice it says he sat down. Back in ancient times, uh, the, the teacher would sit while everyone listening would stand. But we have the opposite in our culture. That everyone listening sits and, and the preacher or the speaker stands. But that's how they did it back in his day. That's how they did it. So let's look at it, verse 3. Now, I want, he's going to use the word blessed nine times. And I just want to put this out there as we talk about each one. Blessed means to be the recipient of God's grace. Okay? So if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, friends and family, you are a recipient of God's grace. And so this is the kingdom of God working in our lives. This is how God wants us to operate. And as we yield our life to the Holy Spirit we'll see this manifested in our life. So let's compare and contrast the world versus Jesus. So verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The world says, Blessed are you when you're famous, when you're rich, or when you're poor. I'm sorry, or when you're powerful. Jesus says, Not in my kingdom. Je- Jesus says, "Blessed are the what, the poor in the spirit." You see, family, this is the heart attitude that brings you into the kingdom. Is this being poor in spirit? The Greek word "poor" there is "pachos." It means to have nothing. It means spiritually, you spiritually speaking, in our hearts on the inside, we are bankrupt, and we are reduced to a beggar, and we have nothing to bring to God of worth, okay? That's what it means to come to Christ for salvation. It means you have nothing good in you, you you understand your corrupt nature, and you come to Christ with an empty heart, a bankrupt spirit. You understand the holiness of God and how far you are from him. You have been weighed in the scales of God's perfect standard, and you have been found to be wanting. You understand, as Isaiah 64 says, your righteous deeds are as filthy rags, okay? That, that hymn, that great hymn, uh, Rock of Ages, I believe it's called Rock of Ages, and one of the lines in it says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. See, when we come to, when we come to Christ, we say, Lord, I am poor in spirit. I have nothing good in me, but Lord, you are good and everything about you is good, and your gospel is good, and your gospel brings the kingdom into this void, vacant, bankrupt heart. And notice the reward in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit for what? For theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the reward for the poor in spirit. When you get to this point of being poor in spirit, the floodgates of heaven will open up as God fills you with his spirit as God fills you with his joy, as God fills you with his power. And then, guess what? You are the richest person on earth because you have the Holy Spirit inside you. You have the Lord Jesus Christ living on the inside. But before he can come on the inside, he has to clear everything out and make a way for his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of our lives, inside of our hearts. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's look at the next one. He says there in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Okay? The world says you are blessed if you're always in a state of happiness. Okay? The world idolizes comfort. Okay, you know those saying eating drinking and being merry. I mean, let's, let's be honest I've been there before all we want to do is we just want to be happy we, we, we want to be content in life now. Don't don't misunderstand me There are moments in our life where we are happy and we are joyful just a couple weeks ago Me and my son are out in the middle of a cornfield in Sumter and we're doing the happy dance as we're celebrating a harvest Okay Or that day I saw my wife walk down the aisle and saw my beautiful bride. That was the happiest day of my life and the the joy that filled my heart. Or back in the day, when I was a Carolina Panthers fan, still am sort of, but back in the day, every time they scored a touchdown on Sunday afternoon, and we come up off the couch hooting and hollering and and celebrating and being joyful, there are times of, of being happy for the believer. And we should be filled with the joy of the Lord. But friends and family, there's also a time for mourning. There's also a time for mourning. Jesus says here in verse 4: Blessed are those who mourn. To mourn uh, it means to understand the world is broken by sin. You are broken by sin, I am broken by sin, and we are in need of God Almighty. It grieves our heart to see the world in its lost state. We don't stand, no, we don't stand in judgment over the world, but we mourn that they are lost and they are on a conveyor belt heading towards eternal destruction. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they rejected his kingdom and so should you and I mourn and weep for the lost and for those who don't know Christ. Our prayer should be, Lord, give us a broken heart and a heart of compassion for the world. That is the Christian's heart towards people that aren't saved is we love you we care for you we want to help you we want to come alongside you and we'll do whatever it takes to build a bridge to connect you with the lord jesus christ we will serve you we will love you we will care for you because our hearts mourn that people don't know the lord i mean think about it man that's your that's the number one goal in this life that's, that should be your highest priority above marriage, above college education, above everything is that you know the one who formed you and created you and that, that you know that he wants an intimate, personal relationship with you. you. We've got to know that. And we've got to mourn for those who don't know that beautiful, awesome, amazing truth. I'll never forget when I became a Christian. Man, I was just overwhelmed I was like, oh my goodness, what have I done with 21 years of my life? I've been living in the flesh, living in darkness. And all of a sudden, I I learned that there's this God above in heaven that loves me and died for me and wants to have this intimate relationship. I'm like, where have I been all these years? And I just fell in love with Jesus. And I couldn't get enough Bible study. I couldn't get enough church. I couldn't get enough fellowship because I, I realized how far I'd been removed From God and how I've been separated. And it brought such great joy to my heart. And I hope it brings great joy to your heart that you know the God and creator of the universe and that you know him and you know him well. Let's continue. Verse five. Let's look at the next one. Blessed those who are recipients of grace. Blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. Some of your translations use meek. I like the King James translation better. The word meek I think is a better word Word than the NASB uses, which NASB uses, gentle. But the world, our comparison contrast this morning, the world is driven by having power, by control, by, by being in charge. Jesus says, not in my kingdom. Nope, that's not how it works. He says, we are to be gentle and meek. That means, that, that word meek, it means to place yourself under Christ's in submission to him. The word gentle was used in ancient extra biblical literature to refer to the breaking in of an ox on the farm and to submission. That's what meekness means. Meekness means power under control. So when the, when the farmer has control of the ox, when he, te- when he pulls that right and turns left, guess what the ox does? It turns left. When he, when he pulls the, ho- the rope to the right, and turns the ox's head, he goes right, or he stops, or he moves forward. It's, it means to have all this, contr- has, have this power, have this strength, but be in subjection to a master. Jesus is our Lord and our master. He is the one that controls our lives as we submit our life to him. Uh, if, you have a, if you have a gentle spirit, you understand your life is not your own. You belong to Christ. The opposite of of having a meek um, spirit, a a meek heart, is a rebellious heart that says, don't you tell me how to live my life. That's the opposite of meekness. If you have this heart attitude that says, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to follow God. I don't care what his word says. I'm going to do my thing because it's my life and it's my choice. That is the opposite of being meek, according to verse 5. And notice the reward. Look at the reward in verse 5. Each one of these has a reward. You know, thank, thank you, Lord, for rewards. You know, he, he, he gives as our hearts change. He blesses us. And the reward here is they shall inherit the earth. Meaning your life, as you are meek and gentle in this life, in submission to the Lord, your life will be fruitful and productive here on this earth. You will have an impact on this generation and the generation to come. And I can't help but to think, does anybody have that godly mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or somebody in your family that just had an amazing impact on your life because of their faith? That's what this is talking about. They shall inherit the earth. That their impact will have a lasting effect on the people around them. As you and I, friends and family, walk in gentleness, walk in meekness, submission to our master, the world will see that and say, wow, that is awesome. And that will stand. That will be the testimony of your life. Let's continue. Verse 5. Verse 5, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Okay, what do you think the world thinks about this subject? What What does the world, the culture, the philosophy of the age, what what do they think about hungering and thirst for righteousness? They hunger and thirst for righteousness as much as a three-year-old hungers and thirsts for peas and carrots. Okay? The world says, happy are those who fulfill their sinful desires. The world encourages you to pursue the lust of the flesh. The world encourages you to do what makes you happy because... The world loves their sin. They revel in their sin, and they go so far as even to defend their sinful lifestyles. Jesus says, not in my kingdom. Verse 5. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, that's the whole purpose, man. We're going we're gonna to probably spend the next four or five weeks on the Sermon on the Mount. And the whole purpose of this entire Sermon on the Mount as you go home and you read it in your quiet time. As you read each verse and what Jesus says about the kingdom, compare it to what you're hearing in social media and on the news and see if you don't see the same difference. You know, Christians, we're sinners too, okay? We're broken. Nobody's perfect. We we sin also. But here's the deal. We fight against our sin. Sometimes we win the battle. Sometimes we lose the battle. But we get up and we shake the dust off. We fight against sin. We hate sin that wars against our soul. There's this constant battle within you, okay? And I, I'm, I'm just be honest with you. I've been serving the Lord for 30 years, and I still find myself facing that battle, that, 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 that battle against temptation and that battle against being carnality and that war that comes against even your pastor to sin against God. But I fight against it. And you know where I find my greatest strength and my greatest encouragement? I find it in the Scripture. When I read about the Apostle Paul, who was probably one of the greatest Christians of all time, where he even reveals in the Scriptures that he even wrestled with his carnal nature. He even wrestled with his flesh. He says in Romans chapter 7, verse 24 and 25, listen to what Paul says, O wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. Paul, now this is a man that's in Christ. He's serving Jesus. He's believing in Jesus. But listen to how he describes himself. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? See, Paul, even after he became a Christian, he sees the fight. The fight is within him. He is wrestling against the carnality of the world. But verse 25 of Romans chapter 7, he says, But I thank God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. How, Pastor David, you're probably saying, Pastor David, throw me a nugget of truth. I'm wrestling against the flesh. I'm having these things come against me. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Take it to Jesus. Take it to the Lord. Cast your heart upon him. Confess your sin to him. Confess your weakness to him. Say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I want to serve you. Help me win this battle that I'm in. That's how we fight our carnality. And that's a beautiful sign of what Jesus is talking about here in verse 6. When he says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In other words, he's not saying those who are completely filled and there's no more room left. No, it doesn't say that. Because the Christian life from beginning to end is about hungering and thirst. God, I want more of you. A Christian is hungry and thirsty for God's power, God's presence, and God's glory. There's this overwhelming passion to please Christ Jesus. I will never forget 1992, Hampton, Virginia, Bethel Temple Assembly of God. I went to that altar. I prayed to receive Christ prayed the sinner's prayer, confessed my sin, put my trust in Christ. And I was just so overwhelmed. I was just so overwhelmed. I couldn't, I practically lived at the church because every time they had, every time the doors were open, I was there because I wanted to learn the Bible. I wanted to worship God. I wanted to experience His power. I wanted to experience His Holy Spirit because there was just this thing inside of me. Just the week before, I surrendered my life to Christ. I was, in, I was in the clubs in Virginia Beach doing things people do late at night in the bars and the clubs and going places I had no business going. And all of a sudden, I didn't want to do it no more. I didn't want to do it no more. I contacted all my friends I was hanging out with. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I, I got saved. What? You got saved? Yeah, I got saved. I gave my life to Christ. And I don't want to go there no more. But instead of going down to the bar on Friday night, won't you come to me to to this bar, to this place where they serve the Holy Spirit on Sunday morning. But it was just this overwhelming passion. I'll never forget, I was sitting in the parking lot and I was reading a book called The Soul's Quest for God by R.C. Sprouls. A man, I think it was St. Augustine says, the, uh, the human heart is not filled completely until it finds, it quenches its thirst in the Lord. And I was just overwhelmed. Those first, those first five years, man, It was like drinking from a fire hydrant because I was so hungry and so thirsty for God. And I believe that's what Jesus is talking about. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. How is he satisfied? The reward? Jesus. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our satisfaction. He is our completion. He is the one that fills you. He is the one that seals you. He is the one, you know, you have that, that emptiness On the inside, that void, that heart, he is the one that comes in and completely fills you and satisfies your heart. That's what Jesus is talking about here on the Mount of Beatitudes. Let's continue. Verse 7, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Okay, comparison, contrast. The world says, blessed are those who demand mercy. Blessed are those who demand and, and get their way. They demand judgment on everybody except themselves. That's the way the world thinks. You know, when people do wrong, they want the gavel dropped. But when they do wrong, they want to duck. That's, that's, the, that's just the way it goes in, in, in our world. Jesus says, not in my kingdom. In my kingdom, we show mercy And blessed are the merciful. Mercy is showing friends and family, it's showing compassion, it's showing grace, it's showing love instead of judgment. We see a situation where they deserve what they're getting, they deserve to be punished. But we step in and we say, you know what? We're gonna love you, we're gonna show you mercy, we're gonna show you forgiveness, we're gonna show you grace. We're going to show you compassion. That's what it means to be merciful. Be careful. Be careful before you say you can never forgive someone. Be very careful with that statement. That's thrown a a lot around in our world. I can never forgive them. I'll never forgive them. What if God told you that? You and I would be in big trouble if God had that attitude towards us. If we got what we deserve for our sin, we'd be going straight to hell. But mercy stepped in. Mercy stepped in. And mercy's name is Jesus. Yes, mercy's name is Jesus. And all you and I, we don't have to rewrite the book. We just gotta follow his example. God showed us mercy. We understand the transaction, we deserve judgment, we deserve wrath, we deserve hell. He showed us mercy. He showed us compassion. He showed us love. He showed us grace. Okay, Lord, got it. Now I'm going to do the same that you did. That's what Christianity is about. It's showing people compassion, love, and grace, and being compassionate and not judgmental. Not judgmental. The, the reward at the end of verse 7, it says, they shall receive mercy. The reward is you and I will experience the mercy as we show mercy mercy. We are called, friends and family, as Christians in a kingdom. Our kingdom is not of this world. The philosophy of this age is not the philosophy we live by. We live by his philosophy. We live by his kingdom. And we're called to be a forgiving people. We're called to forgive others. We're called to be compassionate. Um, We are are called to shine the mercy of Of the Lord Jesus Christ to all. Let's look at the next one, verse eight. So let's be merciful. I mean, this is what we—this is what we all love, man. This is what the world wants. This is what the world needs. This is what shining the light of Christ is. Verse eight, the next one. He says, "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God." Again, the world loves to fill their heart with vices with vulgarity, with immorality. Jesus says, not in my kingdom, not in my kingdom. His kingdom is about purity. His kingdom is about holiness. You know, And if you take your faith in God serious, it will severely restrict the movies and the TV shows you watch. That was about 20 years ago, I was getting ready to deploy with the National Guard, and me and Irene said, hey, let's, let's go see a movie this weekend before I leave. And back then, we didn't have all the uh, ways that we could look up a movie and see what it was about before we did it. So we looked in the newspaper. You know, remember that old thing called the the state newspaper they used to have that we don't see no more? We looked in the state newspaper, and we saw this movie, and I'm not going to say the name of it, but I will give you a hint. The name of the movie has got my wife's name in it. Okay? So the title of the movie has my wife's name in it. And that grabbed me and my wife's attention. We said, oh, let's go see this, let's go see this movie. It's got your name and the title of the movie. And so we go to the movies on this afternoon and we sit there, we're watching the movie, and twenty minutes into it, we both just looked at each other and I was like, We just felt dirty. We just felt dirty because it was so vulgar and there was so much immorality in it. And we didn't I'm sorry. My bad. We didn't check the movie. We didn't check out the reviews or whatever. But we left the movie 20 minutes into it because the movie made us feel so dirty on the inside. You know, the, the vulgarity, the immorality. We said, no, we got, we got to go. We, had, we have to leave. But, but you need to understand, family, that your eyes and your ears are the windows to your soul. Okay? And what you listen to and what you watch with your eyes will fill your heart, okay? And God calls for purity. God calls for holiness. He he calls for us to grow in this area of our life. And we need to be careful what we let enter these eyes and what we let enter these ears because it corrupts us on the inside. So we need to be pure in heart. If you do give yourself to impurity, your heart will be polluted. The Christian life is about loving righteousness, hating evil, and pursuing a clean heart. And look at the reward. Jesus puts a different reward on the end of this one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? They shall see God. If you don't like purity and holiness in this life, you're not going to like it in heaven. Because heaven is in the holy presence of almighty God. And what we are doing in this life as we serve him and, and we want to walk with a clean and pure heart is we're getting ready for that glorious, beautiful, magnificent day where we see our God face to face in all his purity, and all of his holiness, and all of his array of light. It's going to be awesome because he's pure and holy. Let's not let the things of this world defile us by the things that we watch, the things that we see, the things that we partake of in life. You need to examine closely. You need to examine closely the things that you watch, the things that you let enter into your heart. Because what you let enter into your heart is what your heart will be become. You know, so that's just, that's just the way it is. So let's serve Christ with a pure heart. Let's continue. Verse 9. Verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Okay, again, the world says, blessed are those who devour others. Blessed are those who get revenge. Blessed are those who pay back. I mean, do do y'all see the comparison now as we go through each of these? You know, the world is built on revenge. Get them back. Pay them back. Jesus says, not in my kingdom. Jesus says, in my kingdom... We are called to be peacemakers. We are not called to be violent people, and we're not called to seek revenge. Romans chapter twelve, verses twelve Romans chapter twelve, verses seventeen through nineteen says this repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather Give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, this is important. We don't deny justice, okay? We don't deny justice. Justice must be served. But, but what is done wrong, and what, what is done wrong must be corrected. But afterwards, we bring reconciliation. We bring spiritual reconciliation, and we bring peace to the situation by forgiving and moving forward. It doesn't mean you don't put up boundaries. It doesn't mean you don't put measures in place to make sure it doesn't happen again. You know, those are good. Those are normal to put up boundaries and protect yourself. But in our hearts, we hold no bitterness. We hold no anger. We, 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 we let the offense go. And we say, in, in the most bad things that could be done, as difficult as it may be, we say, I forgive that person, and I, and I let it go. And Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you, and I know you'll sort it all out in the end. And Because think about it. When you, when you hold uh, anger and bitterness in your heart, who are you hurting? You're hurting yourself. So, so we should let it go. We, we should let it go. We should let it go and be peacemakers, for they are called the sons of God. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ came down to this world and was the ultimate peacemaker. Because you and I, before we came to Christ, we were enemies of God by our wicked works, by our wicked deeds. We were just little rebellious people running around. And, but the Lord, in, in, in opposition to him, and the Lord Jesus Christ came down and made peace between sinful man and holy God. So let's be peacemakers. Let's be peacemakers in all situations. These final two blessings in verse 10 and 11, I want to combine them because it all revolves around um, persecution. But let's, I, Actually, we're going to read to the end. Let's do verses 10 through 12. It says, verse 10 through 12, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you um, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, again, a little comparison contrast. The world says, blessed are those who go with the flow of the culture. The world says, blessed are those who go with the flow of the culture and blessed are those who approve of sin. But what you need to understand, and what you need to understand is as you and I serve Christ and we hold firmly to our biblical Christian convictions, that you and I in today's world are becoming the minority. That's just the truth. That's just, that's just the, the fact of the matter. We are becoming the minority. And the believer's response to persecution and adversity, because of their faith, is not to retreat, is not to retreat, and is not to hide. Our response to persecution, and taking some heat for our faith, which I believe, by the way, is really good for you, I believe it's good for you, put some leather on your back, put some leather on your back, and it tells you, it tells you if your faith is real or not, but our, our response is to stand firmly on the foundation of God's word, okay? when it comes to biblical matters. See, we Christians, we hold to the Bible. We believe the Bible because we're believers in Jesus. And Jesus calls us to keep his word. So whether it's the sanctity of life in the womb, marriage between one man and one woman, or, be, or Jesus being the only way to heaven, we say with Martin Luther, who at the Diet of Worms on April 18th, 1521, he was told, to, he, he was brought before a Roman, a Roman tribunal of government and religious officials. He was told to recant his biblical convictions or face death or imprisonment or excommunication by the church. He told the Roman council those famous words that started the Protestant Reformation after, his, after he nailed his thesis to the door. He said this, and I quote, uh, Martin Luther said, here I stand I cannot do otherwise unless convinced by Scripture. Now, we hold to our biblical convictions not in a spirit of pride, not in a judgmental spirit, but we hold to our biblical convictions in a spirit of truth, grace, and allegiance to Jesus Christ. Now, people are going to get upset with you. There's just no way around that, friends. There's just no way around this. But remember this. The axe, their axe to grind is not with you. Their axe to grind is with almighty God and his word. So I encourage you, friends and family, stand firm and stand strong. Here's the deal. If you feel like you're getting some heat, some persecution because of what you're believing and you're standing firm, Jesus says in these, these verses we just read, He says, you're in good company. That's what he says there. He says, you're in good company. You're in the family. They persecuted him old. They'll persecute him today. Isaiah, the prophet, 700 years before Christ, he stood firm. He was sawn in two by an evil king named Manasseh of Judah. Jeremiah, the prophet, the weeping prophet, he stood firm. He was stoned to death for his preaching. John the Baptist stood firm. He was beheaded for calling out Herod and his adulterous affair. Peter stood firm. Church history tells us he was crucified upside down. Paul stood firm. Church history tells us he was beheaded at Rome. Jesus Christ stood firm. And in complete humiliation, he was nailed to a cross. Likely completely naked in humiliation and embarrassment. That was the world's response to those who've gone before us. Old Testament, New Testament, and throughout church history. Go check out Fox's Book of Martyrs. Go check out Fox's Book of Martyrs. And, 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 and persecution is still going on to this day. In America, we're in, a, we're in a, a period here in America where you know we have our liberties, we have our freedoms. But on the other side of the planet, in the Middle East our brothers and sisters in Christ are losing their life for their convictions and for standing for Christ. So we, we need to stand firm. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36 through 38, the author of Hebrews points this out. He says, Hebrews 11, some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonments. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin and destitute and persecuted and mistreated. And look at that verse 38. The world was not worthy of them. You know, in other words, the world says, they are not worthy. We're going to kill them. That was their thought process. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. You know, I'm thankful to be an American citizen. I'm thankful. I love my country, and I love my great nation. I bleed red, white, and blue. There's a flag hanging outside my flag. And I'm very thankful for the liberties and the protections that we have in our country to voice my opinion, to state what I believe, and not be in fear of persecution. But that's not always guaranteed in everywhere around the world. We have brothers and sisters who suffer for their faith. We have the liberty. Let's stand firm. And again, personally, I believe the little, I believe some persecution on you and I, some heat on believers is good. It's good. It's good. We need it. It, it. it caused the church in the Book of Acts to expand. It will. It will put some leather on your back, and it will test to see if your faith is real. Again, as I was studying this message and I was thinking about my title. And the title of my message is A Kingdom Not of This World. Did, I think I might have mentioned it in the very beginning, but does that does that phrase bring anybody's mind, bring to anybody's mind something that happened at the end of the Gospels before Jesus was crucified? He was he was uh, standing before Pilate, John uh 1836. Jesus told Pilate, Jesus' words, he says, My kingdom is not. Of this world. You know, we are deceived if we think we can blend the two. Jesus' kingdom principles fly in the face of our world, the sinful world. we Not our world, but the sinful fallen culture that we live in. So we, you keep that in mind. When you trust in Christ and you're living for Him, you're living in a kingdom that is not of this world. He changes your heart. And if you think about it, man, if you're just honest and you have a clear mind and you read through the Beatitudes, you think, man, this is how, if if everybody lived this way, can you imagine what the world would be like? This would be an amazing world if we were filled with kindness, compassion, forgiveness, and, and being merciful and being pure in heart. It's just the good life. It's just the good life. Have you put your trust in him? Have you put your trust in the Lord? Put your trust in Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And if you struggle in the areas of, 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 of the world's philosophy, in God's philosophy, his principles, his kingdom, spend time in the Word, meditate on the Word, and say, Lord, let let that be your prayer. Holy Spirit, change my heart, change my mind, and let me be a fully devoted follower of you and manifest these things in my life. Lord, maybe you struggle with being merciful. Maybe you're one of those you want to drop the gavel. I've been there before. You know, being in the flesh, being carnal man, just want revenge, want judgment, drop it. And I'm just thankful the Lord didn't do that to me. But pray and ask the Lord to help you grow in those areas of your life. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Friends and family, I encourage you, trust in Christ. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Your word this morning. Father, thank you, Father, for this. We're, we're upon a mountaintop, and the mountaintop is, is studying the sermon on the mount and the Beatitudes. Lord, uh, strengthen us, encourage us, and Lord, I pray for each of us, Lord. Maybe there were some areas that we talked about in the study that, that we struggle in. Lord, I pray that you would give your people victory in these areas. That you would manifest yourself in a greater measure of showing mercy, showing truth, showing kindness, and living out the Beatitudes. Lord, they don't come from this world, but they come from above. And we love you and praise you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.